What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. A playlist original. Just watch me. The medium is the message. Proof is a proof. What kind of proof? It's a proof. It has no core identity. Smashed potatoes are no gravy. You know what I'm saying? Speaking uh, moistly on them. Hello and welcome to Just Watch Me, the show that helps you unpack and reconsider your favorite Canadian TV shows. I'm Kate. And I'm Liv. And today we're reconsidering Kim's Convenience. Kim's Convenience is one of both of our favorite shows. Uh, It's come under some fire, we'll say, in this past few months. So we want to engage with that as well. And we we want to give the show its kind of credit and while also doing the due diligence and diving into some of the controversies. But let's start at the very beginning. A great place to start. Liv, can you give us the little synopsis plug of what Kim's Convenience is about? Sure. So Kim's Convenience centers around a Korean-Canadian family who own a convenience store. And there's the the two, the mom and dad, Oma and Appa, who on essentially own run the convenience store and uh, their two adult children who have their own journeys that they're discovering throughout the show. And there's various um, other characters that come in and out that are, that are, you know, useful to the plot, but it, it really does center around this, this family and, and their relationships. The story is based on a play created by Inns Choi, who's also the, one of the creators of the TV show. He wrote this play when he wasn't finding an acting roles he wanted for himself. It was uh, inspired by the story of his own family who lived above his uncle's convenience store. Um, and Inns Choi says the show is a love letter to his parents and to all first-generation immigrants who call Canada home. Uh, and the show debuted as a sitcom on CBC in 2016. Um, did you know that the fans are called Kimbits? Yes, I did. I think it's a great, really, I think it's cute. (laughs) I think it's cute. Fan names are always a little weird though. So you can't think about them too much. I've never identified with a fan name. No. Like I am, a. no, like, and, and think of like BTS, for example, like the BTS stands are called the army, right? Like what sense does that make? Yeah. I didn't know that. Like the the fan names are just weird and you just have to like be excited that they have a fan name. I think if if you really have like true fans, they name themselves and that that's the accomplishment, you know? 
of the end with the knee. People have a weird name too. Oh yeah. What is it? Are they the stands? No, you can't. You, you no. That's stupid. That would be bad. <laughs> the stands is just like too generic. Everyone's like because you say no, but that like stands. I would. It would be like S T A N N E. Oh, okay. That's yeah. I don't think that's right though. I think I made that up. But that's cute. Okay, tweet at us and fans. What what do you call your fandom? Uh, but speaking of the Kimbits, the show has reached not just Canadian but international acclaim. Uh, and for good reason, it's a it's a great show. My parents but, actually. Sorry, just to introduce my parents when they were in in Korea. They they came and they were on Korean TV. Um, because they were, they had gone to some, you know, Korean award show and, um, my parents just like, thought it was so cool. My parents have been like, OG Kim's convenience stands. And so when people in Korea would like ask them about it, this like Canadian show, they would get so excited. And they were actually really, really into Kim's convenience before they moved to Korea. I should say that. <laughs> So they like kind of knew a couple of things. They like had learned some stuff um, because of convenience, you know. Why don't we introduce our characters? Our characters? You mean the characters of the show? Yeah. Oh, you made it sound like we're like picking a warrior avatar and we're having like a battle or something. Well, mine would be Appa. He's my favorite character, I think. Oh, really? Who's yours? I don't know. I don't know. I really love like Alma. Yeah. Because Janet at times can be like frustrating, you know? Um, Andrea Bang's wonderful, but the character of Janet. It's, yeah, she's not, she doesn't have like rewarding stories. So let's start with (laughs) Appa, Mr. Kim, played by Paul Sunhyung Lee. Uh, Mr. Kim was a teacher in Korea before he immigrated to Canada with his wife, Mrs. Kim. Um, he is very proud, stubborn, a very blunt father figure in the family. Well, all the characters are quite stubborn. <laughs> it runs sure, in the family. I think Mr. Kim most of all, and that's a lot of where his comedy comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love this performance uh, by Paul Sung-Hung Lee. I think it's excellent. The One of the key arcs in the show is actually his... Um, falling out in strained relationship with his oldest child, Jung, his son. Um, but we'll get into that when we talk about Jung's history. Mm-hmm. The the uh, one thing I have to say about him before we move on too much to the other characters is it it's striking in the interviews that you watch of him just when he's obviously being himself, how different he is from the character. And I don't feel like we – like so often – especially in like Hollywood, people are just cast to be who they are. And for him, I really feel like it's a performance, you know, like he's really acting. And I know that's such a weird thing to say because like, of course he's acting, but I am struck like in his interviews, how, how different from the character he is. Like he's this massive, like star Wars nerd. And like, he has all these like quirky personality traits that are just like, make him so different from Opa that I, I don't know. I, I just like, it just re- made me realize how great of an actor he is. <laughs> no, it's, it's an amazing performance. Like no question. Uh, I also love, 
Jean Yoon's performance as Amma. Let's talk about her. Uh, Amma, Mrs. Kim, is the matriarch. She also is a teacher. Um, she's very like kind and warm, but she's known to be a bit of a meddler. She <laughs> yeah, kind of likes to meddle in the lives of the family. Um, she also has quite a presence at church, where a lot of her comedy comes in. Um, I think that Jean Yoon's comedy... They certainly start to lean on it a lot more later in the show when I think maybe when they realize what she's capable of, because that's another great performance. And of the cast, I think she probably like she has me laughing the hardest, Mm -hmm. to be honest. And it's funny that you say when they realized what she was capable of, because like when the show started, they were all relatively unknown and hadn't really even had significant parts where they could sink their teeth into things. And so, um, you know, the show gave them, you know, obviously incredible exposure, but also just an opportunity to really hone their craft, I think, um, in a meaningful way. And so I think that they were obviously like excellent when the show started and especially Oma and Appa, Jean and, and Paul, who had played those roles in the, in the play at Soul Pepper Theater, they had, you know, they had a bit more, maybe of a grounding in who those characters were, but then to to watch them transform over the seasons is is really interesting because we're really like watching kind of like them butterfly, I guess. The oldest child is Jung Kim, played by Simu Liu. He works at the handy car rental, where just before the show begins, he's promoted to assistant manager. He was a rebellious teen who had engaged in some street crime, earning, earning him a brief stint in juvenile detention. He was kicked out of the family home by Mr. Kim after he had stolen from the store. And at the beginning of the show, he's still estranged from his dad. They haven't spoken in many years, but he is still in contact, close contact with Janet and as, and also with Amma, who I think is seeing him in secret at the beginning of the show. (laughs) But throughout the series, he does gradually reconnect with his father, Appa, although I will say, they don't have the most satisfying reunion before the show actually ends because the show probably ended before it was intended, but we can get to that. Um, I think that um, I always found it difficult to believe that he had this checkered past. I don't know about you, but he was like, because we meet him when he's like on the straight and narrow. I think that's partly why. And also like Simu is like quite a handsome guy. He like always seems to like have it together. I don't know, like that, that kind of like checkered past thing. I was, I, I didn't believe he was capable of ever, but that's a compliment to uh, Simu Lee, I think. <laughs> I think so too. He, he kind of has like, he's got a very, like polished schoolboy vibe, which I think is probably comes from Simu because Simu was a, I believe he was like a core four accountant before he was an actor. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Like he's a Bay street boy. So (laughs) I think that's why it's a bit hard to buy that he was in juvie. I'll be honest. I never, I never really bought that. And the show doesn't dive into what his past actually consisted of. Probably for that reason. Really? I think for that, well, in season five, (laughs) he starts telling more stories to Janet because Janet starts working at a community center and starts showing off to these other kids about her life on the street, which never existed, which she borrows from Jung's past. So they start actually getting stories out of him 
in season five at that point, but it's very late. And mm-hmm. I think that they probably purposely don't get into what, you know, street crime he was involved in. Although we do see a little bit how his uh, past record affects his future and who gets passed up for, for a job because of his criminal record. I mean, it, it's, it overshadows the show, but I think barely, I mean, mm. for jung- the dominating, um, and I think it's because the show is about the family and the family dynamic, you know, more than more than his, you know, juvenile detention and, and criminal record. The the show is focused on how his estrangement from Uppa. And that's almost a more important factor in his life and his character arc in the show mm-hmm. than the fact that he was at Juvie, you know. <laughs> and just while we're here, we might add that you know, you mentioned that these actors were relatively unknown prior to the show, which has really changed, especially for yeah. Simu, who is um, the star of Marvel's forthcoming film, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which will have... I uh, think it came out this which, weekend, actually. It, I think it came out on the third. I think, yeah. mm-hmm. So that's... Which will have him be the first Asian person as a star of a Marvel film. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, super exciting. For him, and it's crazy that it all kind of started because of Kim's convenience. Like, I, there, I, there's just no question that he would be there if not for Kim's convenience. I think our last of the four main characters is Janet Kim, played by Andrea Bang. She studies photography and she works at the sh- store. And you know, a lot of the beginning is kind of her. Janet is kind of the go-between between Jung and and her parents. Um, well, I think what's interesting about Janet's character to me was that it's not very often on TV that you get to see the relationship between parents and grown children. And because she was living at home, it really changed the dynamic, you know, and, and she really exemplified that. And I think that her her character to me made the show very relatable because I think, you know, when, um, when the show came out in 2016, like I was living at home with my parents, you know, and so much of her experience was my experience at that point. So despite the fact that, you know, a lot of people relate to the show for very different reasons, um, you know, and it means so much obviously to the Asian community, but the show is so relatable and has so many universal truths and to kind of see the family dynamics depicted and have a story that centers around family dynamics. I think it does, um, you know, speak to so many people and, and it's so relatable for so, so many different reasons, you know, I think especially since so many more people are living at home with their parents in their early mid and even late twenties and thirties, sorry, I'm not trying to shame anybody, but we're staying at home longer, especially in, in, in Ontario, that's a trend. So it's interesting to see, there's lots of sitcoms about um, parents and teenagers, parents and younger children, but yeah, parents and adult children under the same roof is it is a really interesting dynamic that I think is really fruitful for comedy. And for sure, it's not something that you see very often. And I think it's great. I think something notable about Kim's convenience is that it's very obviously uh, a Toronto story, not just a Canadian story. The show is shot and set in Toronto. The store is in. Uh, the Moss Park neighborhood, if you know it. The show is also set in a way that is so obviously, li- 
obviously and clearly Toronto with lots of shots of the city settings in recognizable parks and plenty of B-roll of the CN Tower and the TTC. I think obviously the fact that it's an immigrant story um, makes it and an immigrant family makes it, I don't know, closer to a Toronto story in my view. You know, we talked in our Schitt's Creek episode about, you know, there being ambiguity about where Schitt's Creek really was and that, you know, they didn't outright ever really say it was Canada at the beginning. And, and that's obviously not the case for Kim's convenience. You know, like it's, it's obviously Toronto. They make reference to, you know, OCAD and, and Toronto things. Right. So, um, you know, they're, they're clearly establishing themselves as being like a Canadian show. And so there's really no doubt about that. The fact that they are Canadian content truly. So that's where I'd like to go next. (laughs) I think let's put Kim's Convenience on the map as a Canadian show and maybe it's place in Canadian TV. Liv, I'm sure you have lots of thoughts about that. Well, I think for me in 2016, when Kim's Convenience came out, it was a really exciting time in Canadian TV because the CBC was putting out these like they're now iconic shows, but even at the time, like they felt exciting. Like we had Schitt's Creek, which, you know, immediately was like uh, at least recognized as a good show. What, you know, it obviously didn't catch on internationally in the, the same way until later, but immediately they, there was buzz about Schitt's Creek. And then obviously we had Kim's Convenience, which, which centers around um, an Asian family, which was super exciting right away to so many people. Um, and I, I can't remember if it was in the same season or, sh- or the following year or the year preceding, but then we had like, Anne with an E and we had working moms. Like we had all these like really big shows come out within, within a year of each other. And to be, to be honest, like they may have all been the same year. And it was just such an exciting time in Canadian TV where I felt like the CBC was not just being complacent and doing another, um, you know, cop cop show because, quite frankly, they they just do so many of those, right? And and there's a there's a place for you know one cop show a season because obviously there's a market for it. But like, I just feel so often because of this this Canadian content quota, you know, CBC is given you know is publicly funded and they just to me, match the status quo so often. And it's just like, okay, we got this money. We got to make a show. What are we going to do? Let's just, okay, this script. Okay. It looks good. It's written by like, you know, someone we recognize as being a good director, a good writer, like, sure. We'll just push that show along. And like what ends up happening is that like, nobody cares. Everybody thinks Canadian content's garbage. And like often they're right because there's nobody like in the room, like pushing these boundaries, like coming up with exciting ideas. And we had like three original concepts with uh, Kin's Convenience, Schitt's Creek and, and Working Moms that were like extraordinary. And, and in my opinion, have largely changed the landscape of the Canadian game. And to be honest, like, I don't know that we've like since had another big show like that, which is kind of disappointing, but I leave that aside. My point is it was such an exciting time in, in Canadian content. And I think that honestly, 
Netflix obviously has changed the game, but Netflix, I don't think would be buying garbage shows. I think that there's something to be said by the the fact that like these shows are objectively good. That is, is what's made them successful because even like no offense, but like, what's that show called? Like heartbeat or something, you know, that horse show that's been on CBC for heartland. Thank you. It's been on CBC forever. It's on Netflix. And like, you don't see the same international, like, excitement about that show like it, yes netflix like propelled it into the public consciousness but like there's something that it has to be good for it to still take off you know and so anyway this was just like such an exciting time in canadian content and i and i want canadian creators to not to be inspired by this and the success of these three shows to keep pushing boundaries and making shows that are, you know, uniquely or just like really good shows. But I think what's also exciting is when we take these three shows, like individually working moms and Canadian comedians, especially is that they are telling uniquely Canadian stories. And it's exciting to me that the world cares about those stories. You know, I think pairing working moms and Kim's convenience is interesting because they both are, um, they both defy a Canadian TV trope. That's pretty prevalent. And honestly, Shit's Creek, Shit's Creek is largely faithful to is that Canada is fucking rural. These are both set, both shows. I mean, they don't have to be set in Toronto, but I, um, I love that we finally have TV shows that are good and funny that are set, uh, in a city, <laughs> in an urban setting. Um, that's different, right? We get in Canada, I don't know. I think that the, some of the successful Canadian shows lean into, you know, Canada as, you know, as a place of country bumpkins, where this is shows off Toronto in a way that is like clearly has pride for Toronto. And it's, um, as a, a vibrant multicultural metropolitan city. I love that about this show and working moms as well does that. But I think this one too is even more, it's more aggressively Toronto and it feels like a story that could only be set in Toronto, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, And I do think that the, the outside characters too, like they feel Canadian to me. They're clearly written by Canadians. Their, their personalities are Canadian. You know, there is a real, there is a Canadian-ness to this show without question Yeah, that I love. I feel like working moms a little bit more, like I feel like they could be in new york city they just would have taken shorter mat leaves you know? but <laughs> kim's convenience feels like a story that could only have been set in toronto yeah i think when you dig into it for sure but i mean I, yeah i don't want to take the canadianness away from working moms because like definitely like definitely it is and and they've done a good job and you know i, I don't want to take the canadians away because it, it's no, and deserved and goes to and goes to calgary so they spread it out a little yeah bit. <laughs> spread the love but um but yeah, like I think that this, I, it's it kind of pains me, and we're going to get into this probably in the next like little bit. It pains me to see the demise of this show happening in the way that it did, because I think that there are so many important things about Kim's Convenience that I don't want to get pushed under the rug because of the way that it ended. And I think, you know, we talk about this in so many of our other episodes that being the first is really, really hard. And when you're the first, you're oftentimes held up to such a high standard that can 
at times be an impossible, an impossible standard, you know? And, you know, I think about, (laughs) this is going to sound so like such a weird comparison, but I do think about the way that Kim Campbell and her legacy has been treated in relation to Kim's convenience because she was the first prime minister of Canada. And now we have like the first Asian show. Okay. Stay with me for a minute. This feels like a bit of a stretch. This is a bit of a stretch. But do you see what I mean with like, it's, it's when it's the first, it's held to such a high standard. And my fear is that it, it dissuades people from doing it again, or they get, um, they get nervous about the criticism. It takes some time to, you know, get the ball rolling again because the network, the network execs at CBC say, oh, well, we just did an Asian show. We just had Kim's Convenience. Like we don't need to do it right, like, right away again. Like that's my fear for the way that this is like ended is that it's going to get, it's going to be harder for it to like start up again. And of course we have like a spinoff from Kim's Convenience and it's with like the only white character, right? So it it's just like it's already kind of like it's like my least favorite character on the show yeah and it's already kind of like i'm sorry shannon concerning to me right like it's a concerning trend that like this is going to be that that they're just going to be like okay we did it we had kim's convenience like we're so progressive we've showed an asian family like we don't have to do it again and that's my fear and that's like and that's what's happened with you know women prime ministers in canada have you seen another one i haven't all right. I let you go there. I think, <laughs> I mean, I think now that the idea that the establishment is CBC is going to rest on their laurels because they've done an Asian show, they've gotten credit for it. I don't really worry about that because of all the controversy that's happened since. Um, but maybe let's, since you brought it up about the demise of the show, let's talk about maybe the manner in which it was, was canceled. For those who don't know, um, on March 8th, 2021, the producers announced that the sitcom's last season, which was just airing in Canada, would be its last. This was blindsiding for fans because the show had already been picked up for a sixth season at this happen. The co-creator said they wanted to move on to other uh, projects and the what looked to be surprised cast started issuing goodbyes on their own social medias but it it was clear i think to anyone who's interested in the show and follows the show that it was kind of cut off um maybe before its time and i think i want to talk a little bit about some of the kind of unfinished business of the show because it was canceled that kind of leads into some of the controversy around how the story was developed so in terms of you know, unfinished characters. We see Jung kind of start on a narrative, I guess, redemption arc is most of the show, which doesn't really get completed. I mean, he does, he's able to get his GED and his business degree. um, But after school, he ends up back at handy car rentals and he's actually positioned lower than where we met him because he was assistant manager at the beginning of the show. And his best friend, Kimchi is now assistant manager. And he's just, you know, one of the other employees. Uh, And in the season five finale, he says himself, my biz course made me feel like I was getting somewhere. New city, new opportunities. I loved it. Now I'm back wiping windshields at Handyland. And that's, that's the last episode of the show. Um, There's talk of John taking over the store, but ultimately decides, he ultimately decides he wants to go his own way. So I think it's really unfortunate. And this is actually something that Simu raises that, you know, (laughs) There's not a lot of growth for Jung. 
um, throughout the show. And maybe he would have gone there in season six. But I think the way that Simu explains it, it was unfortunate that, you know, having a character, uh, having a show of um, Asian and specifically Korean characters couldn't get that, um, that growth that we're used to seeing from characters in sitcoms. And that was unfortunate. Janet also has, I think ends kind of on an open note. She starts, she decides she's going to work for herself to take her photography to the next level, whatever that means. Um, but that isn't really, we don't really know where that's going to go. I mean, it's not a huge, a huge change. And I don't know if we see a lot of growth from her character either. Um, she's kind of still pulling the same shenanigans and getting into the kind of like same liar revealed plots like throughout the show that just kind of keep happening to her. And it doesn't really feel, feel very satisfying. Um, but I think the person who, the character who maybe is treated the, the least fairly is Mrs. Kim. Mrs. Kim is diagnosed with MS and the season deals with it spottily and minimally um, and kind of just forgets about it. She goes to a support group with Janet. There's another episode where Mrs. Kim kind of has a string of bad luck that she blames on. She had a certain anger when she was diagnosed and she was angry with God and with Jesus. And she, she kind of blames her bad luck on that. But other than that, you know, they give Mrs. Kim MS and they don't really deal with it at all. Uh, and I found that to be kind of unfortunate and unfair. So it, it really does feel like a show that was cut off at the knees. And, and I think it would have and should have gone for another season had there been the interest in the producers. What do you think? Yeah, no, I completely agree. Like I like it was like it's they had already announced a season six. Like there, it clearly was always the intention to have a season six. And and usually, I mean, not to overgeneralize, but usually it's the network that you're struggling with. You know, it's it's the network that says the ratings aren't good enough. Like, sorry, but that just wasn't the case here. And so I think that that's what's so disappointing is that everybody wanted to keep going, except for um, in his Troy. It sounds like. Um, and I, and I get it, you know, like you can't just replace his contribution to the show. It was his show, you know, like it was his story and it would be really difficult to carry on, you know, like, it's not like a show like Grey's Anatomy where you can just swap in a new showrunner and carry on, you know, like it, it was like, it was truly personal to him and his story. And I think too, like, the other thing that, you know, cast members did say was that, you know, there wasn't necessarily another um, Asian American ready and or Asian American, another Asian Canadian. Who am I? Another Asian Canadian waiting in the wings to kind of take over who was ready, you know, and, and, and like, they take responsibility for that. They say, you know, maybe we should have worked harder at fostering the next generation um, through the show, but you know, it's tough. It's tough. And, thing, and you know, people, showrunners aren't made overnight, you know? And so if you don't have another person who's, who's there and ready to take over, like you can't just sub anybody in. And so I am sympathetic to that, but it, it does, it does seem just like a real shame and like, yeah, like unfair that they couldn't just kind of <laughs> strap it together, you know? For sure. 
Maybe this is a good point because you're already kind of touching that. Let's talk about the controversy and, and what, what it was about. Um, I think part of what prompted it was questions about why the show was ending. And a lot of people were accusing Simu of being um, too Hollywood for Kim's convenience now that he had landed this role. And there was all this buzz about that, which he was, you know, very, very eager to to clear up. Right. But also, do you buy it? Like, I get I get that he and of course, like now that the show's over, he can sit there and be like, of course, I'm not going to leave Kim's convenience. But like, I don't know. I, I believe him like of course and I believe in his heart that that's what he meant but with Marvel's filming schedule and their exclusivity to him that I'm sure is all over that contract like I am sure that they are in first position for everything for the next like I don't know 10 years like it, it regardless of whether or not he wanted to have a successful sixth season like I don't know that it would have been possible with his schedule. I will say that. And I think that that was a little I think bit. That you're, I think you're right about that. I think it was a little bit left out of the conversation. I think that there's just no way that he was going to be able to do, to film the sixth season. And I don't know if that's, if he was maybe, maybe he's being unrealistic about that. Like that's certainly tr- possible that that's what was going on. Yeah. I'm not, I don't mean to be like questioning his intentions because I'm sure that he wanted to, you know, like I'm sure he wanted to be back. I'm sure he, this story obviously means a lot to him and he sees why this story is so important. And I'm sure he would have made every effort to make it happen. I'm just not sure like with my like lawyer hat on that that would have been possible. Quite frankly. I think that that's totally fair. And I don't think that that has to take away from any of, um, you know, the problems behind the scenes in the writer's room that have been raised by the cast. Like, I think all these can be true at once. And I think that they probably are. Um, and maybe maybe we'll get into those now and what, you know, what the actors have kind of some of the problems that the actors have raised, starting with uh, Simu, who made a now fa- pretty famous uh Facebook post about you know what went on behind the scenes so obviously so obviously Choi created the story wrote the play um, and is the creator of the show however cast members have raised that there have been very few Korean voices uh, and female voices also in the writing room other than Choi. Um, and when the cast members wanted to draw on their own experience in heritage, that was not always accepted. Jean Yoon herself says that she had to offer corrections and understanding for a lot of the food references. The show makes a lot of references to, to Korean food um, that she, she was often jumping in herself to correct things. Uh, and that, you know, the input was not always really respected or wanted. But there's, I'll have a couple quotes from, from Simu's Facebook post, which I think uh, tell the story better than I could summarize. We had a plethora of lived experience to draw from and offer to writers. Many of us in the cast were trained screenwriters with thoughts and ideas that only grew more seasoned with time. But those doors were never open to us in any meaningful way. More importantly, and when we raised this before, with especially with Jung, the characters never seem to grow. I can appreciate that the show is is still a hit and is enjoyed by many people, but I remain fixated on the missed opportunities to show Asian characters with real depth and the ability to grow and evolve. Uh, he also takes issue with the rate of pay for the actors, which in comparison to shows like Schitt's Creek was pretty abysmal. 
Um, I think his, his Facebook post was really important. I should say that. And I think that his, the fact that he has this new star power made what he said really important because it gave it a platform and he's obviously using his new capital for good, which I think is awesome. There's not a comparison between Simuli and, um, you know, Eugene Levy when the shows start. And I think that the best thing for them to have done would have been to band together and say that we, you know, we need to be paid higher, but because it sounds like to me that there was some, you know, um, rifts within the cast, even that it made it even more difficult to move ahead because they were, you know, arguing as individuals were, you know, if they had band together historically, you know, that's, that's the way forward. I don't know if that's overly harsh, but it's just how I feel. Gene Yoon also had a now famous Twitter thread. Uh, well, in response to a very obnoxious Globe and Mail article, basically telling Simu that he was just complaining um, more harshly than Olivia just did. But <laughs> she had a Twitter thread in response to that, talking a little bit about, a little bit about her ex- own experience um, where she writes to the, to the journalist who I won't name because it's a, a terrible article. Dear sir, as an Asian Canadian woman, as a, a Korean Canadian woman with more experience and knowledge of the world of my characters, a lack of Asian female, especially Korean writers in the writer's room of Kim's made my life very difficult and the experience of working on the show painful. Another obvious note and no shade to Nicole Power, who I think is a, who is a great actor and does really well in her role. You, Libby mentioned that the only character of Kim's getting a spinoff is the honestly only white character, Shannon, who is Jung's boss and girlfriend, and now ex-girlfriend at the end of season five. Interestingly, too, is it seems like the cast maybe developed a very strained relationship with Choi. Um, aside from... I know that Simu said, aside from Choi, there were no other Korean voices in the room. And personally, I do not think he did enough to be a champion for those voices, including ours. When he left the show in between seasons four and five, when he left without so much as a goodbye note to the cast, he left no protege, no Padawan learner, no Korean talent that could have replaced him. Paul Sung-Hyung Lee also shared his frustrations regarding the show's cancellation and honestly, Choi, when he told the Calgary Herald that Choi just stopped speaking to him and he, quote, ghosted him. And she said, I'm very hurt by that, to be honest. So it sounds like there was a rift with Choi at some point as well, who I guess wanted out um, and I guess left the show after season four. Okay, so, you know, obviously we've talked about a lot of the controversy. We've We've hit on some positive things at the show, um, especially at the start, you know, was such a beacon for diversity and people were so excited about it. So, you know, it's unfortunate the way that it's ended, but I'm curious, Kate, like, what do you think about the legacy of the show? You know, where, what are we going to think about Kim's Convenience in five years time? I'm not sure. And I feel obviously this all comes with the caveat that we're two white girls. So, you know, it's not really my place to say, you know, whether it's redeemable and and the racist plot lines, because there are racist plot lines that the cast saved from the show, but there are racist plot lines that still made it in the show, as um, many have pointed out. And, 
you know, I don't really feel (laughs) super comfortable about saying what I think King's Convenience Legacy is. Um, But, but there are certainly, there's certainly lots of people on the internet who are still inspired by the show. I think um, there are, there are members cast members who are proud of certainly parts of the performances. And I wouldn't want to throw those away. Um, The cast members who worked really hard on it and are certainly proud of lots of parts of it. You know, it's obviously not perfect. Um, And hopefully we take in Hollywood and Canadian entertainment takes lessons from Kim's convenience and how this all went down. But I think, I don't think we have to throw out the show completely although I'm not sure that's my place to say. I don't, I think that there are plot lines and in, in such that aren't going to age well. I'm thinking of uh, plot lines like that in the help, for example, which I think was trying, which is an episode in season two, I believe, which was like trying to say something about unconscious bias, but ended up kind of implying that Asian people benefit from white guilt. Like there, there's stuff like that, which isn't going to age well. But hopefully the aspect, like the idea that it's a show that really looks like Toronto, which maybe is superficial, but, you know, that bare minimum, I mean, hopefully that at least continues. You know, there there is some, there's still positive pieces. There's still, I mean, there's still pieces of culture that um, like I've seen Koreans on the internet celebrating, you know, that, that are made it into that show and, and were honored and respected. Obviously it's unfortunate that not all, the not all pieces were, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I agree, you know, for the most part, I think that it's, it did do an important amount to shed light on the Korean community in some respects. And I think that the fact that the cast um, worked so hard to um, make sure that certain things were authentic, you know, I'm thinking of like the references to certain Korean foods and, and that's something that is, um, really celebrated that it brought exposure to certain elements of Korean culture in that way. And I hope that it got the Canadian public, if not, you know, the international viewership excited about um, certain elements of Korean culture so that maybe the next time, um, you know, a Korean show rolls around, people will, you know, instantly feel like it's more familiar perhaps. And that might just seem like a really small thing, but I think in the large, large scheme of things that I actually might be really important to, um, you know, opening the door uh, to the next um, Asian Canadian show. And, and I really don't want this to be the last, I want this to be the first of many. So I think, you know, it's not it like you say, not to throw the baby out with the bathwater with this one, you know, let's, I think it's also important to positive it's also important to highlight what the show did really, really well so that the next time that they're trying uh, a show like this, they can also turn to the show as an example of the many positive things that they did on the show and not just what to do wrong, but also an example of things that went right. I don't know. It's tough and it's complicated to talk about, but I just, I really want this to be the door opening, not the door slamming shut, you know? For sure. And I hope, I think that, I think that you're so right that there are good lessons. There are things that are, there are lessons from Kim's based on the things that were done well. And there are lessons from Kim's based on the things that were done poorly. And I think hopefully if nothing else, Kim's convenience is a lesson to Hollywood and Canadian entertainment. Mm -hmm. And I hope that also people, um, 
you know, remember that this was an important show for the Canadian film industry at large too, you know, every show that that's Canadian that garners so much international um, success and acclaim and people are talking about it. People are talking about it around the world and that's really exciting. And I think that I, I want more Canadian content that I feel like is interesting and diverse and represents a, a, an interesting s- story about Canadians. So that I think is really important and, and we can't really understate the value of this show in the larger Canadian uh, media narrative and entertainment narrative. So yeah, I, I, I really do hope that at the end of the day, the cast feel super proud of what they accomplished and, and I know that they do and they've all been, you know, given amazing opportunities now going forward. Obviously we talked a little about, um, Simu. I know Andrea Bang's got a couple things um, around the corner. So, you know, like, I hope that it's exciting also that this show gave a platform to so many of those, those people and those voices. And um, yeah, so like, if, if, if everything else went wrong with the show, at least we have like some amazing new voices who are now celebrated within the Canadian and the international entertainment industry who are going to hopefully go forward and make really amazing content, you know? If you want to keep up with us in between episodes, you can follow us at Just Watch Me Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Send us your thoughts and feelings about the show at justwatchmepodcast at gmail.com. And it really helps us if you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Thanks. See you next week.